All right, teachers, welcome back to another episode of the Teaching Middle School ELA podcast. This is a fun bonus episode that we did with our friend Jacob over at Teach Me Teacher Podcast. And if you haven't had a chance to check out his podcast yet, it's awesome. Highly recommend it. Um, And we also kind of did something a little bit interesting in today's episode as well. We actually interviewed Jacob first about Writer's Workshop, and then we switched halfway through the episode, and Jacob interviewed us about our batch planning framework and how we approach planning and things like that. So it's kind of like a two-for-one. So we're really excited to dive into today's episode um, and hear about Writer's Workshop from Jacob and then also to get to talk about something that we obviously love, which is batch lesson planning. So without further ado, let's dive right in and get started. All right, Jacob. Well, we are so excited to be interviewing you and doing a podcast swap together today. Um, You're here to talk to us about writing workshop in the middle grades. But before we do that, can you kind of tell our audience who is listening to this on our podcast a little bit about you if they're not familiar with your podcast, Teach Me Teacher? Like, who is Jacob? Who are you? Who am I? I am first and foremost, uh, seventh grade ELA teacher over here in uh, Texas, kind of the DFW area. I have taught at this same campus for around uh, how long have I been here? I've been here for six years, but I spent one year as a literacy coach. I got hired as a middle school literacy coach, uh, two years ago, decided I did not want to do that. And so I went back into the classroom. Um, and now I have over the course, over like the last five years been doing teach me teacher that has started out as just a little podcast that I just plugged in a USB microphone, talked to cool teachers at my campus, um, got Donald and Miller on and then the podcast exploded. And now I write books and talk to teachers and just love my life. I have a second podcast called craft and draft where I talk all about reading, writing workshop. And I have an upcoming book coming out here, hopefully in fall 2021 called rightfully empowered all about empowering young writers in the middle school classroom through writers workshop. You are one busy guy. I, <laughs> oh I you know, I, it's, it's, I, I love what I do. Like I'm really addicted to teaching and just being in the classroom and, you know, I, I don't handle downtime well. So like every book I've ever written in every piece and all these podcasts, they exist in spring breaks and summer breaks and Christmas breaks. That's literally how I get all of this done. So, and we, I don't know if y'all paid attention to the news, but we had like ice Mageddon here in Mm -hmm. Texas, like not too long ago. I literally wrote the last like third of the book during that ice storm. So that's, that's how that worked. (laughs) Impressive. Well, so the ice storm was kind of helpful for you then getting that. Yeah. For me a little bit. Yeah. We had on and off electricity the whole time, but you know what? It, it landed pretty well towards the end. So, well, that's exciting. Congratulations on all of those accomplishments. I mean, we know how much work it is to write a book with ours coming out June 1st. It was like, I don't ever want to write another one after that. <laughs> right. Um, so talk to us about writing workshop. It's actually not something that we um, do in our community necessarily. We're not super like writing workshop um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like focused, I guess. Focused. Right. Um, so I'm curious your top tips and tricks or why you support it, believe in it so much. Yeah. I'd love to know the why first, actually. Why writing workshop? I, I, I love the why question because it <laughs> solidifies everything that we do. So um, my path into writing workshop actually started with reading workshop. 
was, you know, letting kids, you know, back in my day, right? When I first started out, like I didn't have kids independently reading. They weren't really choosing their books. I didn't have a classroom library, like when I first started kind of in English. And then I had a great mentor who handed me uh, Donalyn Miller's Book Whisper and Kelly Gallagher's Read Aside. And I was like, the next week I changed everything I was doing. And I was like, I don't know how to do any of this. I don't know how to get kids to like read independently, but I'm going to go try. Mm -hmm. And then over the course of the next few years, what ended up happening was, is I read the research from Lucy Calkins and Donald Graves. Um, I started reading, uh, the, a book called the acts of teaching writing, which is kind of associated with the New Jersey writing project slash Abydos is kind of what they call it for people unfamiliar. Um, and basically what it is, is the research behind why writing workshop is effective. And it's the idea that, you know, when we would, I think it's pretty popular in the English spaces to where we talk about, you know, we want kids to get books that relate to them, that they can see themselves in, they can see other people in. That's very common these days. It used to not be, but it's very common now. English teachers are like, yeah, let's let them independently read. And, you know, it's less about the canon and, and the <laughs> early grades and more about getting kids interested in text. But in writing, you know, we pull up these programs, we pull up grammar practice, we have kids constantly looking for errors in writing. We constantly give them these outlines and say, well, you can't write unless you have an outline. Um, but that's just not true. And Donald Graves in his early research pointed out that kids from a very early age, and y'all might relate to this because y'all both have young children, is they they scribble and they mark, they want to leave their marks on stuff far before they know what they're actually doing. Apologizing for my child out there. He's playing Minecraft right now. Oh, I but, don't even hear him. <laughs> um, he so they they mark, and so it's this idea that we have can we have contextualized writing in this purely academic way, but it is a, a sign of expression that is genetically wired into us to do. This is why people put their hands on caves before they knew how to write words. It was because this was, this is your mark. So fast forward that to modern context, kids don't need to be fed this diet of rules and stuff because they already want to do that. What we do by doing that first is we kill their their desire to leave their mark because when we go rules first and mandates first and control first what we're telling them is what you want to do naturally isn't good enough you have to reach this certain level before you can say what you want to say and workshop gets rid of that and almost flips this on its head and it's like no let's talk about what you want to say first what do you want to what do you want to put out in the world today and then the educator in the room, the guider, the mentor can then sit with those students and craft what they need to get better. So for instance, rather than doing a mini lesson all about the uses of commas to create compound sentences or complex sentences or whatever, what we can do then is we can look at great model text. We can look at sentences and go, oh, what are, how are they merging these two together? And then kids that are capable in that will use it in their writing and the kids that aren't I can then address those issues in individual conferences versus just kind of wasting time during mini lessons Does that makes sense so it's it's student first and then I constantly adapt so what ends up happening is I create these mini lessons uh, the students go off and they write according to whatever they want to write about um, I always say I don't prompt students anymore um, which is pretty true and 
as I'm working with them though, I might have 10 different lessons during my conference time. So I'm constantly buzzing around the room moving and it creates this atmosphere that kids, they, they want to write so much. And they like, you know, it's like the revelation when you let kids choose what they want to read, mm. they read more. When you let kids choose what they want to write about, they write more. And mm. if they write more, they're going to get better because it's the process of doing that. And that that's kind of the philosophy and, and what I mean by workshop all thrown into one with that answer. Sure. Fascinating. I'm curious, like as a teacher listening, you know, maybe I'm in my first couple of years teaching, yep. or maybe I've taught kind of the same way forever. It seems really overwhelming to me to think like 10 different mini lessons, different groups and yeah. walking around the room. Oh my gosh. I don't even know what I'm actually doing. So do you have any like easy tips to get started? If this was something that teachers like, okay, I'm really intrigued by this concept. Yes. So, you know, I, I I'm going to bring it back to the reading side too, because that's how I started. So I think it's the best way to conceptualize this, which is when I started letting kids independently read, I read with them. Right. And I wanted to model being a teacher in the room who reads and I would sit with them and I would talk about like at the end of the reading session, I would go, Oh man, like this, this happened. And I would model just kind of what readers do. So if I was brand new to writing workshop, what I would do is what you want is you have to have a great model text and it doesn't have to be long. So when I say model text, it could be an excerpt. It could be a paragraph. Um, pro tip is to use like the starter of a page. Like I've used like a great piece is like the beginning of Scythe, right? Like the first two pages of Scythe by Neil Schusterman. It is, you know, they describe the scythe coming in wearing like uh, he looks like a renaissance angel, but he's like the bringer of death, too. So that's very thought provoking to middle school kids who haven't been exposed to that book. So what we would do is I would show that we would read it out loud and we would talk first as a reader. We would go, OK, so what's happening here? What's being what can we infer here? What's kind of some foreshadowing happening? And then we flip it and go, so how did the writer do that? What is the what craft moves is that writer doing? And that would be our mini lesson. And it would be based on, I would have some notes about like where I would focus. Like I might focus on language, for instance. So what mood is he setting by using these specific words when he compares them to a Renaissance angel? What is that? Why would he choose to do that? And then when kids are going off to write, it's, it's not, okay, now let's go write a piece like Neil Schusterman, right? Now let's go write Scythe. It's so as you're writing today on whatever topics you want, I want you to really think about what's your language, what words are you, are you using in your piece to convey the emotion that you want. It doesn't matter what you're writing. I just want you to think about it. It could be funny, it could be scary, it could be emotional, whatever. And then as they start writing, I would just make my way and talk to students. Or if I didn't want to do that necessarily, I would start my own. So I would have my document camera up, I would have my journal and I would start writing a little bit just to give students something to see, to see me doing it. Um, and then make my way around to confer with students. So minus my talk about, you know, 10 different mini lessons, that <laughs> goal of you walking around and talking to students is you're formatively assessing where they are. Are they stuck? Are they having trouble with ideas? Did they connect to the mini lesson at all? So I'm gathering all of that um, as I'm talking to them. And you'd be surprised. Like it, it seems scary to just be like, okay, now go right. But if, if your mini lesson is effective enough uh, and you lead them into it well enough, kids will latch onto it. And it's also great because sometimes they don't. And then you realize you, your mini lesson wasn't as effective 
as it needed to be. So as a new teacher, um, it can be scary, especially if you're new to workshop. But once kids start writing and you realize like that excitement and that buzz happening, um, it completely changes how you approach writers for the rest of your life. For sure. So you're mentioning, you know, mini lessons, walking around conferencing, those are, you know, key components of writer's workshop, but can you break down a typical class period? I know a lot of our teachers are always like, how do I fit everything in? So when you're doing writer's workshop, if you've got, you know, let's say 60 minutes, what does your schedule look like on a daily basis? So I have a block. I did not always have a block. So I've done both. Um, I, so I have about roughly 80 minutes or so. Um, we actually start with my mini lesson. When they come in, they write down the standard for the day. That's the first, that's like quote unquote, my bell work to put it in mm-hmm. common terms. Um, they write down the standard for the day and then I start immediately and it will usually have a short passage. Uh, once we read that, I decide which way I'm taking it. Sometimes it's more of a reading focused lesson. Sometimes it's more of a writing. Um, I looped up with my students. So they've been used to this process for the last two years. So we actually, we hit both almost all the time these days, especially at this point in the year. Um, and so we'll do that. And then we take those key takeaways after the mini lesson, they read. Um, we never read for less than 15 minutes a day independently, but sometimes we'll stretch it for 20 or 30 minutes. It really depends on the day. And then after that, we jump into writing time. And the reason I do reading first is because my, my goal is with the mini lesson in reading is to fill their brains up with many words and possible pieces of inspiration. And then we vomit it out during writing workshop. Uh, And then once writing workshop starts, we'll usually start with goals. So we'll do I don't know if you guys are familiar with Nancy Atwell's kind of status of the class, but she'll basically ask the students, okay, so let's set some writing goals today. What, what's a good goal. And as a teacher, you would model this. So a good goal might be, Oh, I want to pick a topic and start on this new poem I'm working on. And then as kids develop, they'll be like, Oh, I really want to finish like this piece. Like there's so, if you walked into my classroom this Monday, you would hear all of these different goals from all these different students. But once the goals are set, they start writing and sometimes I write with them. Uh, and, but the majority of the time I go, all right, who needs to talk to me first? That's where I start my conference and I talk with them just individually. I have a rolly cart that I just, or a rolly chair that I just sit on and just zoom around the room the whole period. But like in my conferences are about two to three minutes. Uh, sometimes they go longer. Sometimes they're shorter. Sometimes I just check in real quick. If a kid's like super into what they're doing, I don't want to bother them. And sometimes we'll do like, you know, uh, like really in depth, like working on a line, like, oh, this line is really kind of broken. And I don't ever in the art of the conference could probably be a whole uh, podcast. So I don't want to go too Mm -hmm. much into that, but in in forms of structure, that's what's happening. And then uh, towards the end of the class, about the last five minutes, we'll do a debrief where uh, Penny Kittle calls it kind of like a sharing of beautiful words where, all right, sometimes we'll do it with a partner. All right, share something that you wrote today that you're really proud of. Um, or we'll do it out loud where we'll share. And then that's the end of the class. And we repeat over and over again. I love that ending the class that way. I think that's a great way to end. That's such a beautiful goal. Yeah, I love that. And just to clarify, so if I walked into your classroom on any given day, some students might be working on a poem or others a narrative. Like there's different writing styles happening depending on their goals. Yes, 100%. And sounds terrifying, right? Because we have standards we have to hit. (laughs) Um, we have, 
<laughs> we have, and here's the thing, like I'm at a public school, like I have the same standards that everyone else has. We have in seventh grade here in Texas, we have a writing star test that they have to do. So mm -hmm. we have to prepare them for all the same stuff. But uh, what, so I taught sixth grade, the majority of my career. So what would happen in sixth grade is we wouldn't start that way. Usually what kids would come into was they would all be writing kind of like narrative four paragraph, five paragraph, like personal narratives, right. Or creative writing. That's kind of what kids come from elementary school doing. Uh, but as the year would go on, I would show them poems. I would show them nonfiction. I would show them comic strips. I would show them, you know, a variety of text. And then as they become more educated in, oh, you can talk about, so like you can have theme, like theme can exist in poetry. It can exist in fiction. It can exist in memoir. It can exist in nonfiction. And my teaching is to demonstrate that that way I'm not just, there's no, okay, now we're in a fiction unit. Mm -hmm. It's, we might be focusing on plot, but plot my plot can help you craft a really great argument too, because you can set up the background and the characters, you know, the quote unquote people in this and craft a story to create a more effective argument. So when I'm teaching my students, I'm constantly bridging the gap between these genres totally. so that, so they end up doing that in their own writing. So yes, you'll walk around, there'll be kids writing poetry, nonfiction, argument all over the place. And it, it literally is like, it's the wildest thing, but I never know what I'm going to get when I'm going from student to student. And it really does fire me up. I'm really tired by the end of the day, but I'm very energized while I'm teaching. Well, fascinating. I, so your book comes out in, hopefully you're saying like fall 2021, depending yeah. on fall COVID. 2021. Yeah. And COVID like has thrown everything be off. about, right? That book is yes. going to be about this whole concept. Like, so if I pick up that book, I'm going to walk away feeling like, okay, I can totally, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I have a clear vision and a clear guide and all that stuff is going to be laid out for me. Yeah. In the intro, I actually say it's not a how to, although that exists in there. Cause my, what my goal was, I had an early reader, um, one of my friends who has published tons of books in her life. She's been an ELA teacher forever. Her name's Regi Routman. She wrote literacy essentials and a bunch of other stuff, but she was an early reader. And she's like, it's kind of like a manifesto of possibilities. Like you're trying to get teachers. It's, it's, there's a lot of philosophy in there. Um, but one of the things I do to demonstrate my points is I feature over 30 pieces of my students writing in there, which was kind of cool for them. Because uh -huh. I was like, hey guys, I'm going to feature y'all. Um, so they're in there, but at the, in the intro, I say, what you're not going to see in this is essays because no child writes an essay for fun. I was like, every piece in here was not assigned. Nothing in this book was assigned by me. This is their writing. This is their choice. And I demonstrate, I take, because I had these kids for two years, mm -hmm. I have case studies of this is how they started at the beginning of sixth grade. This is what they're writing now. And I think just seeing their growth in language and control emotions, like I think any teacher who reads that can clearly go, oh, this, this works. Now the the challenging part is when teachers are going to go, yeah, but I, th they have to understand the parts of speech. They have to understand grammar. They have to do all these things. And my part of my argument is sort of kind of like they need to know how to use these things, but do they need, do they, do they need that to, to really go? Do you need to, uh, you know, you don't need to understand the parts of plot to enjoy a good book, right? Now you might need one to craft something publishable, but all of our writers in our room are not 
kids that are going to go off and publish hardcore, right? They're not like that. Some of them might, some of them really might be English majors and do all of that stuff, but not all of them. What I'm trying to do in my argument in the book is we need to empower them to use their voice because we live in a world where we have clashing arguments. We have clashing cultures. We are at the center of one of the biggest culture wars in America right now, both politically and socially. And we have to be giving kids the voices to to be to be active in those conversations and i believe part of that is giving them choice and how they approach uh how they approach using their voice in the classroom sure i love that i think that's so so fascinating and it's interesting because when we sat down to start writing our book i hadn't written anything in a very long time like since yeah. college maybe that was legitimate and when i sat down to write and i was like i have no idea what to even say how to even write anything. And then over time, right, as I was writing more and more for the book, it started to get easier. And so it just makes perfect sense that, of course, if we just let our students practice all the time, they're going to get better as they, you know, start to learn more about their voice and how they write and how they interact with words. Yeah. Well, we say it in reading too, right? You can, for anyone that's ever done standardized testing, you know, the kid that's probably going to pass no matter what, because they always have a book in their hands, right? Like we know that practice makes kids better. doesn't matter what the standard is. If they're reading more, they're going to get better. But in writing, we often ignore that advice for some reason. And that's what I'm hoping to inspire teachers to kind of just like, we're, we're halfway there. Just embrace this. I hit my mic. Just embrace this other side and uh, you'll see change happen. Love it. Very inspiring for our teachers. So if someone is listening to this, um, where can they learn more about your book or like put their name on a wait list while we wait for it to come out? Do you have any information that you can share with us? Yes. I mean, follow everything. Follow me everywhere. Uh, I'm mostly <laughs> on the Teach Me Teacher Facebook page. It's kind of like home base. Um, you go to teachmeteacherpodcast.com. I'm also on Instagram as Teach Me Teacher Host. I'm on Twitter, although I don't use Twitter that much because it's kind of a hot mess of a place to be. Uh, but the podcast Teach Me Teacher or Craft and Draft are the two places where I speak to my audience the most. You can sign up to my email list, which is at teachmeteacherpodcast.com. And all announcements and every piece of news I have comes out through those avenues. Cool. Well, I'm stoked to read it. Thanks for sharing that with us. I love that. No problem. Should we uh, switch gears now? Are we going to go into a, a totally different topic for our listeners? Yes, because we're going to switch it, right? Yes. Over to my end um one thing that doo, 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 i'm gonna do our intro for this on uh my side but i do want you guys to kind of introduce yourself to my audience now that i've kind of talked about myself for a little bit i get to be the host again which is beautiful uh <laughs> so caitlin and jessica uh go tell me a little bit about yourselves what y'all do and kind of what y'all's focus these days in your practice Sure. Jess, do you want to go first? Yeah. So I am Jessica. I am a mom of three kids and former middle school teacher. Fifth grade is where I spent most of my time in a literacy coach. And Caitlin and I started EB Academics together when we taught across the hall from each other at a school in LA. So that's kind of how we got our start. And I'll let Caitlin fill in the details. Yeah. So I'm Caitlin. I'm the other half of EB Academics. And I taught high school English and then middle school English, largely eighth grade um, for the majority of my career. I have three-year-old. Just one kid is enough for me. I don't need three like Jessica has. Um, and yeah, we started EB Academics back in 2014, actually, almost in 2016. So we've been working together for a really long time. 
Um, we both retired from the classroom about two years ago to go full-time with our company. It was just becoming so much work. We were working like 80 hours a week. I felt like it was just insane. It was unsustainable as moms. We had to make a really hard decision. You know, I love teaching. I didn't want to leave the classroom. Um, but our mission is to impact 2 million students' lives in the next two years through our EB writing program and our EB Teachers Club, which is our monthly membership. And we just feel so lucky and blessed to, uh, to get to do what we do. It's so much fun. And we love our community more than anything in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's wild to, I'm curious how you guys have managed your, uh, managed the, the, the balance of like leaving kind of that space. And, you know, what was that like for you just in initially, like, was it like a culture shock to your brain? Like, cause it, like, even when I went to coaching, like just the shift from teaching to coaching was wild. So I could imagine doing what you guys have has changed some things. For sure. I mean, leaving the classroom was incredibly difficult. It's losing, you know, a big part of yourself. And um, I miss those students. I miss very specific activities I would do with those students, especially like this time of year. I know exactly what novel I was reading with them. And it's like, oh, I kind of yearn for those times back. But I've tried to keep in touch in the classroom. So I volunteer at my son's school and was able to do some reading groups with those students just to keep my pulse in the classroom. And that's been really helpful, actually. Yeah, it was a hard decision for me to leave. Um, you know, I had left the classroom once before. After when I was teaching high school, I was like three and a half years in. I had super unsupportive administration. I actually talk about this in our book. And I quit like in March or something. And I gave my 30 days notice. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I was so upset. I thought I was going to come into education and like be this change agent and make these big waves. And I was just kind of shot down and put in my classroom and told to do these things and do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I was like, I'm out, not doing it. And I left the classroom for a year. And the next school year, August, all the kids are in their backpacks, walking to school on the first day of school. And I'm driving to my new job in, you know, Beverly Hills that I thought was gonna be really awesome. And I was just thought to myself, what have I done? I am a teacher. I am supposed to be in the classroom. And so when this opportunity came or kind of really not opportunity, but it was like a decision we were forced to make with how much we were working. Um, it was really hard for me, but I just had a, a moment in a faculty meeting where I, I knew that I was supposed to leave. Like this was what my path was supposed to be in life. And even though I'm not in the classroom anymore, I still, I feel this kind of sense of, I don't know, larger purpose, not in a different way in that we're impacting so many students' lives and so many teachers' lives through, um, through what we do. So I don't know that that really answers your question, but it was a difficult decision to say the least. Yeah, it's there's so much. Oh my goodness, my uh, my thing's messing up here. Give me one second. Sorry. No problem. Uh, there, in terms of your work, though, you talk about kind of batch planning and everything like that. How does this work out into what you guys are doing? So this is I'm fascinated by this as someone who. Uh, I don't know. I, I plan in kind of like a scattered way, I guess. <laughs> I, mean, I, I that might be unfair to myself, but so uh, I w could you start by just explaining kind of batch planning and how that works into everything you do? Yeah. So batch planning in a nutshell is basically chunking your planning for the year. We like to say 90 days is kind of like a good starting place. You can do less if you know if that's intimidating but it's taking all your standards all your units that you want to cover and then sitting down for one or two days and mapping 
every little detail out. And I know some people hear that and they go, oh my gosh, that sounds so daunting. But really it's not because then you're done, right? For the next 90 days, you're not staying after school till six at night. You're not missing out on your kid's baseball practice or you know, heating up a frozen meal for dinner because you have to plan too much. Instead, you're just making small tweaks on your lesson planning. And it really allows you to show up each day just feeling like I've got this. I'm confident to teach. I know what I'm doing and all my plans are done. Yeah. So that's something Caitlin and I truly believe in is when we practice ourselves and we teach our EV teachers. That's what I was just going to say. It's kind of at like the heart of our membership or our monthly membership, the EV teachers club is we want to teach right. our teachers how, how to leave school at, when contract hours end, you know, and the best way to do that, you can read all the books in the world, you can do all of these different things in the world, but the best way to do it is batch planning because you have every single thing planned. And I know like some people who are maybe type B, that's very stressful. And they think there's no room for, for error or for creativity. You know, you get stuck in this, these plans that you have. And what we've found is over time, it actually allows you to be more flexible with your plans because you know exactly what you are doing. You can make changes here and there and be like, nope, I'm not going to do that lesson tomorrow. I'm actually going to do this one instead because I found it. And it seems more interesting to my students, but because I know what's coming down the pipeline, it makes those changes a whole heck of a lot easier. And so even if you are not type A and you don't like having things organized at all, I truly believe that batch planning is the single most effective way to make sure that you get to leave school when your contract hours end, which is what we want for everybody. That's what makes teaching sustainable is that you are able to have a life outside of the classroom. And that's one of the reasons I left the classroom too, is I was just working way too much. It was just insane. It makes me think of, we had one of our EV teachers that we've taught batch planning. We asked her like, how has it changed things for you? Her name is Kayla. And she was telling us that um, months ago or years ago, I can't even remember. She was the teacher who would stay at school till like 10 o'clock at night. And literally like the police would come because an alarm would go off because she was still there planning and making copies. And she's like, that's not me anymore. Like I just leave when the bell rings, I go home and it's like, oh my goodness. Like I, first of all, I can't imagine staying at school that late. That's the reality for so many teachers is there's always something to work on. So we're trying to eliminate that from their lives and just give them their freedom back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that is so essential to, I don't know, like, cause I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely someone who is guilty of staying late and kind of putting in the long hours and stuff like that, especially right now. Like, I think when we were planning this, I told you guys that, you know, we're not only am I tutoring, uh, in the middle of the day during our kind of advisor, I'm also doing end of the, uh, day tutorial. So I literally teach from about nine 25 until five o'clock every day. Um, and that's a lot. Uh, and that there's specific circumstances that have us doing that, but you know, I don't wish, I, I think the majority of teachers, I think there's a reason why, you know, the average quit rate is around five years or yeah, so. And then if you sure. make it, you make it past that, you can last a little longer, but you know, I think something else that you guys do actually helps teachers stay less burned out too, which is y'all kind of have an emphasis on, you know, like engagement, but, you know, kind of taking the work, the worksheets out of some stuff, making assignments more engaging and better. And I, I truly believe that when you empower teachers to create lessons that are better for kids. And what we mean by that is it's high rigor, but it's also high engagement. It's more authentic. I think that helps teachers not get burnt out because I was totally, 
when my life changed, when I discovered better ways of teaching and just getting more engagement. So um, I, I really want to hone in on that for you guys. So what's your kind of perspective on, you know, worksheets and, and how do you move away from stuff like that into getting more, uh, more active lessons just, or, or lessons that just engage students on a different level? Sure. So I think it really comes down to having like a framework you can follow, because if you just talk about like, let's have engaging fun lessons all the time, that can be a lot of work. And we don't want that for our teachers, right? So when we teach our teachers to batch plan, we have them follow a framework of planning into, through, and beyond lessons. And I won't get into all of that, but I'll focus on the into lesson. So imagine you're starting a unit. It can be a writing unit, a reading unit, whatever it is. Your into lesson is meant to hook your students, to get them excited. So that's where it's a really great opportunity to bring in engaging lessons. So we like to think of, you know, is there a particular game we can play or can we do an investigation trail? Maybe it's an escape room. But what's really great is you find an activity that you can rinse and repeat. So you're not spending hours every unit planning the same or a different engaging activity. So for example, I mentioned investigation trail, right? Let's say you're going to read some informational texts with your students. To hook them with that into lesson, you can set up a question trail or investigation trail, as we call it, around your classroom. You can do this digitally as well, where there are specific questions to the articles that students have to answer, and then it leads them to a different station. So they're wandering around the room. They're communicating with each other in small groups. So it's really interactive. But if they answer a question and it's incorrect, it might lead them back to a station they've already been to. So it's really like critical thinking skills and it's challenging. And what's great is, you know, once you have a template for that, do an investigation trail again with another unit. Maybe this time it's a grammar unit or whatever topic you're studying, but either way it's hands-on, it's engaging. So you're bringing the fun into the classroom and it's not a worksheet or handout. Yeah. And the thing that we found with our teachers too, who you, this is the framework that we follow for our, our bundles and our membership and our monthly membership. And they are teachers when they use these lessons and students are highly engaged and just so stoked to be in class. Our teachers are excited to be there too. And I remember feeling that way myself, you know, when I was teaching Romeo and Juliet and we had our, our classroom wedding, you know, I woke up early that day and I was so excited to get to school and I couldn't wait to see my students' reaction. And so when we have those engaging lessons for our kids and they're engaged, we feed off of that. It creates this energy in the classroom that you just inherently want to be a part of. And I think that that keeps that love of teaching and that drive to keep showing up every single day, just alive and well, in addition to obviously batch planning, because you didn't spend a ton of time the night before planning it. You just get to be excited to go to school the next day, you know? I Do you guys address um, assessment kind of within all of this? Because I feel like like, I know when I talk about workshop with teachers, they, that's always the question, right? It's like, okay, so if they're doing all of this, you know, how do I, how do I work in assessment and stuff like that? So I'm curious at how you guys respond to that when I'm sure that comes up when you're working with educators. Sure. So I mentioned that framework of into, through, and beyond when you're planning. So if you think of the into as the hook, the through lessons are where you're like really diving in on those standards and doing lots of practice activities. It might be discussions. It might be um, writing samples, whatever it is. And then the beyond portion, that's where the assessment comes in. 
So that's where we might have our students do a response to literature if it's at the end of a novel unit. Or, you know, sometimes maybe there is a, a component of a test involved, but then we try to tie in the engagement and have some kind of project for them to work on as well. I know Caitlin did like music videos with her students at the end of certain units. So there is definitely forms of assessment built into the framework, which makes the planning, again, much easier because you can almost start with the end in mind. If I know I want my students to write a response to literature at the end of the unit, then all my activities leading up to that are going to prepare them for it. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> I echo that. <laughs> what she said. <laughs> no, I think, I think you guys have uh, something special with all of this in that, you know, there's, uh, there's so many programs and things that just exist that are kind of waste of time. But I think a lot of this is, is valuable to them. And I, I, before we close out and kind of leave them with ways to come find your stuff, I want to know, like when it came down to crafting this and putting it together, you know, how, how did you guys come about not the system itself, but what, how did you stay in mind of like realistic, uh, realistic guides for educators? Because that's, I feel like that's the most challenging thing is taking something giving it in a packaged way, right? Something that can be reproduced for other people, but also making it realistic enough that people can take this, apply it, mold it, whatever they need to do. So I want, I'm curious, just kind of on the back end, what was your, how, how do y'all manage that thought process of making it realistic for teachers to apply what you guys are talking about? Well, I think, well, two things. So the, the framework that we're talking about, the into, through, and beyond, and then batch planning, all that stuff, were, those are things that we had been doing. We just didn't have an like identifier or like a name for it. And so over the years, we were doing it anyways. And because we worked across the hall from each other, and we would kind of lesson plan together, and we were building curriculum together, everything just sort of started to fall into place. And I can't remember when it was just this light bulb moment for us, but we're like, oh, this is what it is. And it becomes this approach for lesson planning that ties in with batch planning as well, that really just works for our teachers. And because we have such a large community who are currently in the classroom, we get feedback from them all the time. We have a great Facebook group. They're constantly asking questions. So we really do have a large pulse on what is happening in classrooms right now, even though Jessica and I aren't currently teaching ourselves. Um, so we're able to take their feedback, their questions and, be, and, you know, ask ourselves, okay, how can we make this a little bit clearer? Do we need to make a small tweak here? And so we're constantly refining and perfecting it over time. So I think that that's really helpful, but obviously Jess, you have more to add to that. Yeah. I'm thinking for our teachers, because we follow this framework in all the materials we provide to them, it becomes ingrained in how they're teaching, right? So they know, okay, I'm doing an into lesson or I'm doing a through lesson. So then when they go to create their own lessons, not using our materials, but more of our concepts or our framework, they're using that same language. So they are saying, okay, I need to create a beyond assessment here. And it makes the planning a whole lot easier. And it keeps it realistic because they're like, I know the style or the type of lesson I need, whether it's into, through, or beyond. And they can rely on all the past activities they've done with us. So they can go back to an investigation trail and just use our template, but create one of their own. So it keeps it um, manageable for them, but using a common framework, a common language. Caitlin, Jessica, if people wanted to find you, follow you, stay in contact, how do they do so? Where do yes. they get in touch with all of this wonderful <laughs> action going on? Um, well, they can learn more about our whole lesson planning approach and framework. We have a book coming out um, June 1st. It is called The Empowered ELA Teacher. 
And you can go to ebacademics.com forward slash book to check that out. You can also find us on Instagram. That's kind of like largely where we are at ebacademics, or you can go to ebacademics.com. You can learn more about our membership, our writing program, our blog, our podcast. Oh, we have a podcast too, which is what we're doing this on. That's called the (laughs) Teaching Middle School ELA Podcast. You can find us pretty much anywhere that has anything to do with middle school ELA. Boom. Boom. And I'll end up doing it there. (laughs) Wonderful. Thanks so much for having us, Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. No problem. So it was definitely a different type of episode, different style. Absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. Jacob was great to talk to. And I would definitely recommend um, heading over to the Teach Me Teacher podcast. And as we wrap up today's bonus episode, we have a lot coming your way in May. All kinds of bonus episodes in May. We have Monica Genta on the podcast later this week. And we're talking about just really fun things throughout the month of May to keep you excited through the end of the year, feeling like you got this, you can do this, you know, hang in there. We're almost finished see the finish line right in front of you. So we're excited to jump into this month together. Hope you guys have a wonderful day and we'll catch you tomorrow on our regularly scheduled Tuesday podcast episode.